Coming up next, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 61. Yeshua HaMashiach died for us. He went into the second death, that is the lake of fire for us because of the Lamb of God on the wood and the wood is on the fire and the fire is on the altar and it's burned up. Shalom, this is Avi Ben Mordechai and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. Glad to have you with us today as we're continuing where we left off on our last podcast. This is Real Israel Talk Radio and this is podcast episode number 6161 and it's program number 8 in our series of Yeshua and Salvation. Thanks for joining us today. On our last podcast, we left off talking about Yeshua and what I believe happened to him after he left the judgment hot seat in Sheol or what is called in Hebrew Gehinom. It's the place of the burning fires. That's the hot seat. And when you're standing in front of the great judge of the universe and there's an inquiry panel going on, you better not talk too much. So we were talking about the idea of the Miranda rights and the issue of the parable of the rich man in Luke chapter 16 and what happened with him when after he said it is finished, While hanging on the Roman crucifixion tree, then he bowed his head, he breathed his last, and he gave up his neshama, his soul life, which is wrapped up with his breathing life, the nephesh that was in his blood, according to Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11. So here is Yeshua in Sheol from our last podcast, He's being questioned by the all-eternal Ehyeh, Asher Ehyeh, that is Yehovah, who is the one that was announced to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. And we learn in Luke 23, verse 46, that Yeshua cried out with a loud voice, and he said, Father, Into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. The Hebraic idea that stands as the basis for the phrase, I commit my spirit. That idea in Hebrew is going to refer to putting something on deposit, to put it into the care of someone or something. It's kind of like when you go to the bank and you make a deposit. Well, that money belongs to you, but it's in the care of the bank. And when you go to the bank and you want to withdraw it, you should be able to get it out. We would hope so. And the bank will have to say, look, this money belongs to you and we'll give it back to you. You just loaned it to us on deposit for us to take care of it for you and they invest it, and they do certain things with it, and they earn money on it, and, you know, things like that. But the key is, they're holding on to it for you. That's the idea behind the Greek and 
the Hebrew idea of into thy hands I commit my spirit. The idea there is into thy hands I deposit my spirit. What this tells me is that the word, the devar in Hebrew, the logos in Greek, the memra in Aramaic, and the word in English, that was Yudhevavhe, the word inside of him. That's why John 1.14 would be able to say, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yehovah was expressed through the word. He was the word made flesh. So when he was on the execution tree and he was just moments away from giving up his spirit, he says, I'm putting my neshama on deposit because the neshama, the spirit, the word cannot die. So what does Yeshua do? He enters into Sheol below after his physical death on the execution stake or the tree. And there he dies a physical death. Then he further descends into the place of the judgment hall of Sheol for questioning and an inquiry. And that is done in front of the judge, who is the judge of the universe. And there he is asked questions And Yeshua has to respond in truth, saying, Yes, Your Honor, I am guilty because he bears the sins of the suffering servant from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 4, and continuing on through that story. Yes, he's bearing all of that. So he, Messiah, Yeshua, becomes the Son of Man, that is, the sick one. The sick man. Now, if you turn to Leviticus 25, 25, you'll be able to follow me here because he's down deep in the bowels of the earth. He's in Sheol. That's the same place where Jonah ended up with, as we learned from Jonah chapter 2. That was the sign of Jonah to go into Sheol. So Yeshua went to the same place. So in Leviticus 25, 25, sounds like a song. In the year 25, 25, if man is still alive. Okay, Leviticus 25, 25, we read, If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem him, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Well, what did his brother sell? His brother sold himself, according to Isaiah 50, verse 1. Yes, we sold ourselves. Adam himself also sold himself with his woman, his wife, to the Nahash, the serpent, the Satan, in Genesis chapter 3. So Messiah comes along to redeem his brother. Now, if you take a look at the word to redeem, and if the redeeming relative comes to redeem him, then he may redeem what his brother sold. 
That's in the Torah of Moses. So here, the word redeem is from the Hebrew root gimel, aleph, lamed. Gimel, aleph, lamed. We might pronounce it goel, goel, or gaal. Depends on what you're trying to say. This root, gimel, aleph, lamed, gaal, or goel, this is a word that means to redeem as one's own, to take something back through a redemption. Ga'al is also a word that happens to refer to defilement and desecration. That is the idea of Ga'al, Gimel, Aleph, Lamed. You know, you could see passages like in uh, Isaiah 59, 3, For your hands are ga'al, or defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. This is the idea of pollution, desecration, defilement. And very clearly, though he was Messiah, he himself took on the Isaiah 53 suffering servant characteristics, and he becomes the sins of the suffering servant, and that's why he becomes corrupted for us. So with all of that being said, I want to go back to Psalm 16, verse 10. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see or undergo corruption, the second death. Because on the third day, he resurrected. Therefore, he never saw that corruption. What he saw was pain and suffering and the flames of the second death. But he himself never saw corruption. He went into it, but he never died the second death, because on the third day, he was raised from the second death. That is why we come to the Father in Yeshua's name. Therefore, Psalm 16, verse 11, is part of that promise. You will show me the path to life, which is what? It's resurrection. In your presence is fullness of joy as opposed to being not in your presence, that is, in the lake of fire, which is no joy. It's the total opposite. And at your right, which is a understanding of who Messiah is, at your right are pleasures forever. In other words, eternal life. So this is the promise that is mentioned in the book of Acts 2.27, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption because he's going into resurrection. And so this is what happens. He puts his neshama on deposit. He enters into the second death as the Son of Man, the sick one who is guilty as sin. And then on the third day, he resurrects. And when he resurrects, he comes back to collect 
his neshama from the Father. He comes back to collect his soul that he put on deposit. He takes it back. He is now elevated by the Father to stand forevermore as the eternal judge of all life. That is the gospel. So we learn from Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, For I delivered to you first of all that was which I also received, that Messiah died for our sins. That's Isaiah chapter 53, and that's also on the execution tree. He died for our sins. That's a fulfillment of Genesis chapter 2, mot tamut, physical death and spiritual death, which is according to the scriptures, says Paul. Then verse 4, and that he was buried. The burial means he's three days in the heart of the earth, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, that is, resurrecting out of the second death. That's what brings us our salvation, because when he comes up on the third day, he does not take with him the DNA, genetic corruption, and genetic imprint from Adam and Eve, from the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. He leaves it all to burn in the lake of fire. And Yeshua himself resurrects out of that on the third day, and therein he becomes the perfect Savior, the Redeemer of our neshama. And that is what happened down below at above. And you can go to 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. We learn the following. Therefore, do not be ashamed or if this were written in Hebrew, it would be, therefore, do not be disappointed from the Hebrew word bosh. Don't be disappointed of the testimony of our master, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a separate calling, a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Messiah Yeshua before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Yeshua HaMashiach, who has what? Second Timothy 1.10, he has abolished death. That's the second death because we still have a first death to go through. We all know it. Indeed, we all have to go through a first death. We all have to go through a physical death. There is just no way around it. Genesis 2.17 tells us that, but it's that second death that he has abolished. That's that spiritual death because of Yeshua and what he did and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So the gospel is that death, burial, and third-day resurrection. That's why we are a people that needs Yeshua. You see, folks, if Yeshua had not raised from the second death, 
deep down where he had gone in in order to throw all of the Genesis corruption into the flames, into the fires. If he had not done that, then Paul's statement makes sense in 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 19. He's talking about resurrection. He says, For if the dead do not rise, then Messiah is not risen. Well, of course. And if Messiah is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Why? Because if he didn't rise from the grave, then we don't have eternal life. We don't have any new life. What a horrible thing. Think of all those religious groups out there who elevate and worship these great teachers of wisdom. Well, if that teacher dies and doesn't raise from the dead, then they are nothing but a dead teacher, period. But our teacher, Messiah, is not dead. He's alive and alive forever. So Paul says, and if Messiah is not risen, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Messiah, they also have perished because they're not going to raise from the grave either. They're not going to raise from the second death. If in this life only we have hope in Messiah, then what are we? Are we any different than anybody else out there with their grand and glorious teachers? No. He says, then we are of all men the most pitiable because all these people that we read about in our New Testament, they ended up giving their lives for what they believed. What a waste of life. What a waste of time. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. But now Messiah is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's what he says. So whether people are dead or alive, they are going to resurrect, which is going to be a study series that we're going to be doing later on in some future podcasts. We know Yeshua went into that second death. But the fires did not consume him. The fires did not corrupt him. Only the sins, only the corruption that was on him from us, that went into the fires and got burned up and it left him. Thus the Son of Man raised from the dead on the third day. And when that happened, he was given new life He then took his deposit back from the Father, so the Word came into him once again, and he became glorified and elevated. As we learn from Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23, I have sworn by myself, this is Jehovah speaking, that the Word has gone out of my mouth in justness or righteousness, and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. Therefore we learn in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, 
that at the name of Yeshua, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Yeshua HaMashiach is master to the glory of God the Father. Notice that idea of the tongue. That's, again, pointing us back to the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. That tongue should confess that Yeshua, Messiah, is master to the glory of the Father. Why? Because he was the only one out of anybody, just flat out anyone, who would go into the second death, throw off all the sins and all of the corruption and all of the transgressions and the bentness and the twistedness from the tree of the knowledge of good but evil to throw it all into the fires of the second death while he himself was not corrupted, but he removed everything from him and from us. It burned in the fires, and then he in the fires, was not corrupted. It could not destroy him. He was in the fires, but it didn't wipe him out. It didn't destroy him. It didn't kill him. And then he came up out of those fires of the second death, and he brought with him eternal life and perfection and newness of life. And that's why he deserves that every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess him, because no one else did what he did. No one, period. That is the beauty of this. But all these other religions in the world, well, I'm sorry to say, all their teachers are still dead. They never came back from the fires of Gehinom, from the fires of the second death. They never threw off all of the tree of the knowledge of good but evil sins and judgment and curses. They never threw all that stuff off into the fires for us because they couldn't and they didn't resurrect. But Yeshua did. And so that makes his testimony all the more powerful, all the more believable, all the more worthy and appreciative. That's our salvation. So now, with that being said, we're going to Genesis, Bereshit, 22, verses 7 through 8. Let's read it together. But Yitzhak spoke to Abraham, his father. And he said, My father. And he said, Hineni, here am I, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood. But then look at the question. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? That is, for a going up offering. Where is the lamb to put onto the wood which is on the fire? Where is it? Well, Abraham responded in Hebrew, and he said, Elohim yir elo hase le'olam bani. Elohim, or God, said he will see or look to himself, to himself, the Lamb, for a burnt or a going up or an ascension offering my son. So the two of them went on together. 
Notice this. Yehovah, Elohim says, towards Elohim, it is said that he is going to see unto himself the lamb for the burnt or ascension offering. What I would like to do now is take a quick break, and then let's come back, and I want to continue with looking at this idea of Yeshua going in to the second death and depositing all of our DNA genetic imprint from the sin of the tree of the knowledge of good but evil into that second death, burning it all up and getting it off of him and then rising from the dead. We'll come back in just a moment. I'm Avi Ben-Mordechai. This is Real Israel Talk Radio. You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 61. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben-Mordechai. Okay, welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio, and I'm Avi Ben-Mordechai. And now, if you would, join me as we go over to Genesis chapter 22, verses 7 through 8. Chapter 22, verses 7 through 8. Let's read it together. But Yitzhak spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, my father. And he said, Hineni, here am I, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood. But then look at the question. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? That is, for a going up offering. Where is the lamb to put onto the wood which is on the fire. Where is it? Well, Abraham responded in Hebrew, and he said, Elohim yir elo hase le'olam bani. Elohim, or God, said he will see or look to himself, to himself, the lamb, for a burnt or a going up or an ascension offering my son. So the two of them went on together. Notice this. Yehovah, Elohim says, towards Elohim, it is said that he is going to see unto himself the lamb for the burnt or ascension offering. So just in case you missed it, I want to show you something here from the Hebrew term hase. Hase. Hey, sin, hey. Hey, sin, hey. Hase. Hase is a lamb in Hebrew. Now, notice something that is said by John or Yohanan, the immerser, the baptizer, in John chapter 1, verses 35 and 36. Again, the next day, Yohanan, or John, stood with two of his disciples and looking at Yeshua as he walked, because he was coming toward him. What does he say? Behold the se, or the Lamb of God, because 
He's saying, here is the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 22, verse 8. Here's the fulfillment of the seh that Isaac asked about, where is the lamb for a burnt or elevation or ascension offering? And Abraham said, he will see to himself that lamb. So this is the fulfillment of that. And notice, it's going to be for an elevation offering because you're going to roast the lamb. And when you roast the lamb, you're going to put it on the wood and the wood is going to be on the fire and the fire will be on the altar. How do we know that? Turn over to Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 8. This is a law in the Torah concerning what the priests must do with the burnt offering. Look at Leviticus 1.7. The sons of Aaron, the Kohen, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order. That is the word in order on the fire. So again in verse 8, they are to put the whole thing in order on the wood that is on the fire that is upon the altar. That shows us the order, the Seder. So we know that the lamb was put on the fire. Therefore, the lamb was burnt up. But in the case of being burnt up, remember, this is all metaphor because, yes, the Passover does, in fact, involve cooking a lamb. But I want to show you this idea of a lamb going into the fire. Let me now take you to Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. This is Yohanan, or John, telling us what he saw in his vision. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst or in the middle of the elders, there stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, and seven eyes, which are the seven ruchot, or spirits of God, set out into all the earth. So this is the Lamb of Jehovah. That is the Lamb of God. And that is what is spoken about in Revelation chapter 5, verse 12, with everyone saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, for ever and ever. And all the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. So this is the idea of the Lamb who goes into the fires with the suffering servant sins of Isaiah chapter 53. It is there that he takes our sins 
and it is burned on the altar. Since we're talking about the Passover, let's go to Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 through 4. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it, according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. That's what it says in English. However, in Hebrew, we have something just a little bit different, and it is really telling. Where I want to begin is with Exodus 12:4. This is about taking the lamb according to the number of of the persons, according to each man's need, you will make your count for the lamb. What exactly does that mean? To take it according to the number of persons and according to each man's need and to make your count for the lamb. Let me read it to you in Hebrew, and then I will give a translation and we'll talk a little bit about this, okay? Bamichsat nafshot, ish lafri tacholu al hase. Bamichsat is by the covering from the word kise, and then it says nafshot ish, then continue on, lafi achlo, that is, according to what he is going to eat, referring to his food, tachosu al hase. Tachosu is they will be covered. It's from the same Hebrew root, to be covered. They will be covered. Al is as unto, or for, or above. As unto, or for the sake of, or above. Hase, the lamb. So here would be a flowing translation of Exodus 12, 4. If the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take him by the covering of the soul of a man. According to his eating, they will be covered as unto or for the sake of the lamb. In other words, there is a lamb over every single participant's head. That's what Exodus 12.4 is telling us in Hebrew. There is a lamb that is going to cover every single participant reclining there at the table to do or reenact the Passover Seder with the slaughtering of a lamb. Every lamb is over everyone's head individually. It's the covering of the soul of a man, not according to the number of souls or according to the number of persons. It doesn't say that in Hebrew. It's the covering of the soul of a man according to 
his eating, as he's going to eat. That's what it refers to. Now, let's turn to Exodus 12, 8 through 10. Then they shall eat the flesh of that lamb, of course, on that night. And what's the law concerning that? It's to roast it in fire. It's roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it or eat him. And then the text goes on to say, do not eat him raw. Don't even eat him boiled at all with water. No, you are to roast the lamb in fire. Its head with its legs and its entrails. Well, what is that telling you, folks? It's telling me that the Son of Man, who is the metaphorical lamb, it says... He goes into the fire. That is, he goes into the Genesis 2.17 lake of fire with all of our sins upon him. Now read the last statement of Exodus 12.10. And you shall let none of him, none of that lamb, remain until morning. Don't let any of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning, you will burn with fire. You will burn the remaining elements of that lamb with fire. So that tells me the Psalm 16 verses 10 and 11 prophecy, which is reported to us in Acts chapter 2 verse 27 And in other places of Scripture, it's telling us that the Lamb descended into the fires of the second death. But what happened with him is he wasn't eternally destroyed and corrupted. Not at all. He ended up coming up out of it on a third-day resurrection, but he did not have with him any of the sins from the genetic imprint of the tree of the knowledge of good but evil with him. He didn't have any of that on him. He left that in the fires to burn forever. And he himself came out of it and made new life for every one of us. Therefore, with that event, Yeshua was elevated, glorified, and raised up and lifted up and given honor and glory forever and ever, which is why Every knee should bow, and every tongue should confess that Yeshua is Hamashiach to the glory of God the Father, because he was the only one in all the universe that would do something like that for us. Is that powerful or what? That shows us the appreciation that we can have for all that he did for us, indeed. So I think now you can get a picture of why Yeshua was saying in his garden prayer of Luke 22, 42 through 44, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, where it came to be that his sweat became like drops of blood, great drops of blood falling 
to the ground. Yes, that is what happened to Yeshua. Okay, now with this being said, let's go over to the book of Daniel, chapter 3, verses 24 through 25, so that we can get a continued picture of what this messianic redemption is all about. The context in this biblical narrative tells us that King Nebuchadnezzar was really, really angry at three of the Yehudi exiles, whose names were given to us in the Babylonian Aramaic language as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men were known by Daniel, who also was one of the exiles, along with his friends who were sent to Babylon from Jerusalem. So these three men had failed to bow down and worship a very large idol or statue. He was so angry, in fact, that he ordered that these three men be cast into a flaming furnace of fire. And not only that, but he ordered that his servants make the fire even seven times hotter than it normally would have been. So he really turned up the heat on these guys and said, I am just going to toast all of you. And that was his intention. So he had these three men thrown into this fiery furnace, and they were literally going to be burned alive. But if you read in the narrative, even some of Nebuchadnezzar's servants, when they were making the fire hot or hotter, they themselves actually succumbed to the flames and the heat because it was such an intense fire, and it definitely was destructive to the human body. So much so that these servants of Nebuchadnezzar were just taken out almost in an instant, being as close as they were to the flames. So we pick up in Daniel 3, 24 and 25, and we read as follows. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, saying to his counselors, that is to his government cabinet or his advisors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said, yes, very true, O king. Then Nebuchadnezzar answers them and says, well, take a look over there. I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not even hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of Elohim, or the son of God. And then just a few verses before that in the context, Daniel 3.21 we learn this. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and they were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. In Daniel 3.27, and the satraps, the administrators, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. 
The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Then in verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, and he said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his malach, or his messenger angel, and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god or their own Elohim. Now, I believe that this story did in fact happen. But remember, all these narratives are metaphors to teach us something else of a biblical truth. When we return back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, we read that Jehovah Elohim commanded the man, that is Adam, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good but evil you will not eat, or you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of him, and then the Hebrew says, In dying, you will die. Or to die, you will die. Which gives us the idea of the second death as we learn from Revelation chapter 2 and verse 11 as we do with many, many other passages. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And we know from Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, we know that the second death is the lake of fire, because it says so. When we go back and again revisit Daniel chapter 3, verse 27, we learn again in the context that these three men who were bound and thrown into the fiery furnace of the king, that all of his administrators and his governors and the counselors and the whole administrative council of the king, they all gathered together and they saw the men on whose bodies the fire had no power. In other words, the second death had no power. And then the narrative tells us that the hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and in fact, the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar's response to all of that is, I see four men loosed, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form or the image of the fourth man is like Ben HaElohim, the son of Elohim or the son of God. So this is showing us the metaphor that the second death is not going to have any effect on those who believe in Yudhevavhe Messiah and are written down into the book of life. Let's just call it your fire suit. So then we pick up in the Brihadashah or New Testament, where Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 10, for God did not appoint us to wrath. What is the wrath? 
Well, I think the wrath is Genesis 2, 17 from the Hebrew. In dying, you will die. So we have to go through a physical death. That's the in dying. But then the passage, you will die idea. That is the second death of Revelation 20, verse 14. That is the wrath. That is Jehovah's judgment. And so Paul says that this salvation from that wrath was a gift to us through our master, Yeshua HaMashiach, who died for us. Well, what do you mean who died for us? As a man who inherited the passed down DNA genetic imprint from the tree of the knowledge of good but evil in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, that imprint came into Yeshua. He had to fulfill Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 4, just at the very beginning of that narrative. And because that happened, that identifies the concept of what Paul is talking about when it says that Yeshua HaMashiach died for us. He went into the second death, that is the lake of fire, for us because of the lamb on the wood and the wood is on the fire and the fire is on the altar and it's burned up. The moment that Yeshua was dying, then he says in the crucifixion narrative, it is finished. What is finished? We are preserved from the wrath of the fires of the second death and of the lake of fire. Let's come back on the next podcast and let's talk further about this. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. This is Real Israel Talk Radio.